I want to begin with this. This game is the first Halo game I've played, which didn't completely frustrate me while playing it. I, I'm saying that wrong. There were uh, frustrating spikes. Let me use Grand Theft Auto as an example. In every Grand Theft Auto game, it's like, yeah, you're having fun, you're having fun, and then you hit an irritation spike. And I bet a lot of you know what I mean by that. Each of our spikes varies. Sometimes there's one specific mission, or one area, or one plot, or one section, or whatever, that just is like, ugh. And every time you replay the game, you're like, ugh, right? You know, San Andreas is a beautiful game, but, well, then there's the zero missions, aren't there? You get my point. Halo 1 and 2 both felt like good games that had frustration points, these, these irritation spikes. Halo 3 didn't have an irritation spike for me, although there were a couple of moments where I was just kind of like, whatever, and I do still feel like there are certain flaws in the game design that could certainly be improved by, uh, well, I'll get to that in a second. And nevertheless, and there was no moment where I was just like, oh, come on, when it came to a specific level or design or mission or structure or bridge or whatever. Good stuff. Unfortunately, I think the narrative is noticeably worse in this game from 2. Now, granted, 2 just knocked it out of the park. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, Bungie, well, the Bungie writing staff, what I really tend to enjoy about them is not actually their gameplay, but their story. See, the myth comparison I keep constantly making. But it was nevertheless good to see them polish this one up a bit. We have a few more guns. The gun design has been rejiggered yet again. The equipment was nice, giving us more additional tools, uh, stuff we could use. The friendly AI was good. For the first time, I actually felt like it was a viable strategy to flank and outmaneuver enemies. The arena design was improved, where there's actually more set pieces with regards to large areas where you're fighting a large group of enemies. So, you know, the, uh, the, the open world sections were actually far more enjoyable than they were in the previous two games. There's actual bosses fights, most notably against the giant scarab walkers, but those were actually very fun, and in both areas where you fight them, there are multiple avenues of bringing them down, based not only by the walkers themselves, but the area you're fighting them in. And in both areas, you have a bunch of allies fighting with you. Much more smoothed over experience, much more enjoyable from a gameplay expect, uh, perspective. We even had some new vehicles, although I felt the controls could use a little bit of work, but, you know, whatever, it is what it is, not much I could say about that. Unfortunately, I'm kind of run, running through this because most of the gameplay stuff, I don't have anything new to share. It's They took most of the good stuff from the previous games and polished it and made it better. There you go. Bam, right? One catch. <sighs> I'm just going to be drawing a giant target over my face for saying this, but I think Halo 1, 2, and 3, as I've played them, it's a little... No, 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 no. Let me walk that back. I think in Halo 2 and 3, it is too easy to die. Now... I don't mean it's too hard. I want to be very clear about my phrasing there. What I mean is that the game makes it so that you die very quickly, even on a normal difficulty, and there's not really anything in your toolkit to do anything about that. There's no dodge button, there's no iframes, there's no block, there's no shield, there's no reaction, there's no heal, there's no absorb, there's no mechanic where you can fight something and get energy from it, you know, heal by killing, Doom, for example. There's, you know, there's, there's no mechanic in order to offset the low health problem. And I think that particular sliver of a thing is my biggest overall complaint with Halo 2 and Halo 3 from the gameplay axis. And most of the moments of frustration would all boil down to that exact same point of just, it's so easy to die, and the game gives you very little to do about it other than killing better or hiding better. One thing I was thinking about, though, and I thought about, I've, I've, this thought has been percolating in my head for the last several days as we've been playing through the series. I think that that's actually not true. I think there is a mechanic in the game to prevent that from being a problem. 
Now, I already talked about this on stream, so forgive me for those of you who actually watched the stream. This is going to be repeating information here, but I feel that the co-op mode fixes that neatly. Not just because there's another player, which increases the overall output of what you can do, but because it reduces your uh, points of failure to two or four, as it is possible in this game, you know, one, two, three, or four, rather than simply one point of failure. To explain what I mean by this a little bit, some games can get away with this kind of idea of, oh, you screwed up, you died, start over. In fact, many games are designed around that concept. Rogue Legacy comes to mind immediately, and I actually rather like Rogue Legacy. But in other games, it tends to be a bad thing when if one person dies, you have effectively fallen and you need to start over. As normal design, as a challenge mode, sure. As something that's an optional thing, sure. As like a hardcore thing, sure. But imagine if in Diablo 2, hardcore, hardcore more hardcore mode was the default or you had to restart you know the entire quest you're on every time you die in d2 keeping in mind how easy it is to die to lag or if you're playing online but also to just random variables or things you literally can't even see especially on the higher difficulties in d2 and you understand the problem that this could arise with as long as it's you know not an optional hard mode thing which again i am totally cool with having a singular point of failure rpgs are actually the easiest way to explain this Party size. The fewer party members you have in an RPG, the fewer options you have to recover. And good recovery mechanics can help salvage a lot of game design. And I think in this case, having the extra co-op member, or two, or three, is the kind of thing that gives you another, it, it gives you a fallback. It gives you some way so that any failure is not total failure. Instead of, instead of going back to the last checkpoint, it's like, oh, I'm down, but the other person's over there. I hope I'm at least explaining this even remotely correctly, because I feel like this is probably one of the more interesting aspects of game design for both Halo 2 and Halo 3, and to an extent Halo 1. The best way I could really go into this is back when we were playing Halo 1, a friend of mine and I, Shadow Machine, we played on Legendary Difficulty and did co-op. It was fun, and it was challenging, and it was interesting. Now, we did die several times going through that, but if I died, it wasn't game, and if he died, it wasn't game. If we died, it was game. You see what I mean by that? That, that extra little barrier of po potential protection or the ability to recover, that recovery mechanic suddenly smoothed out a whole lot of issues with that game. Now, I'm sure there's people who are just going to call me scrubbed and stupid and terrible and awful and dumb, and that's fine. But I do think that games like this could use that kind of recovery mechanic. And again, there's many different things that could be that. In this case, it's the co-op. I'm going to add something else to the list now. Other players playing with you. I suppose that's kind of the Dark Souls thing at that point, isn't it? Although that's not true, because if you die in Dark Souls, you're just dead. <laughs> I hope you at least get my point. I am actually curious of your guys' thoughts on this whole recovery me mechanic, and frankly, the absence of recovery mechanic in single-player mode concept. It'll be very interesting to cover ODST and Reach and 4, which are the upcoming ones, along with Wars, of course, but that doesn't count for this purposes, to see if they have any kind of recovery mechanic built in. Which leads me to talk about the narrative. Now, considering that I had much more to say about the gameplay, you can already see this is going to be a short video because I really don't have much to say about the narrative. The Chief has slowly been building to be more and more of a character, and he certainly had a lot of good animation and presentation in this one. Um, Cortana, this is, you know, the focus was actually quite a bit on her, even though it felt like she was mostly a guest character in this one. Johnson was alright. Arbiter was cool, but mostly a sidekick. So there was some decent, you know, backup staff, but no, nowhere near as interesting or as well-developed or as well-presented as in 2. I only have a few specific things to talk about. First of all, I do have to admit there is a brilliance to the construction of this. 
the Flood decided to come out to the Ark with everything he had. The, the Grave Mind came out with everything he had. Okay, that makes sense. After all, why not? He's going to win. It's the only source of major resistance, and once he has defeated us on the Ark, uh, he wins. But the Ark is, uh, what was it, one to the, uh, one to the tenth by eighteenth power or something like that, light years outside of the galaxy? Well outside of the 25,000 light year range that the Halo Ring is gonna fire. This is how you construct victory in an unwinnable scenario. You, you, this, this is, this really is legitimately brilliant. With all the flood way out here, way outside the galaxy, and that detonation killing all the life there, well, yeah, that's basically the end of the flood. So, the, the formerly un, you know, undefeatable death doom that there was no hope for whatsoever has suddenly been defeated without sacrificing the galaxy. But it wouldn't have worked last time, so it's not cheap. And it only worked this time because of multiple convening circumstances between Cortana, the alliance between the Covenant and us, the Truth deciding to be an idiot in several ways, along with regret in the previous game, and of course Chief himself, Johnson, Keys buying time so that Johnson wouldn't have to activate the healing. So many different elements led to this victory. And it was a very precisely calculated thing. So I will absolutely give the writers credit for constructing this scenario. I also want to give them credit on the presentation angle. While the cutscenes are nowhere near as good as in 2, it is worth noting that there's a lot of good set piecing. Individual moments are fantastic in this game. The moment where they all charge the crater in the middle. Or the moment where the halo ring is rising up from the waters. You know, the, the finale as we're charging towards the center of the arc and you can see the, the, the planet that's been consumed in the middle of it and just you know, racing towards dawn, ha ha. All of these individual moments are great, but I also want to talk about the pacing of the narrative, which is quite excellent as well. The game, uh, this is actually true from a gameplay as, and a nar narrative aspect as well. In fact, frankly, I would go so far as to say that this is the best paced game of the three that I have played so far. Now, I got some questions about that. Forgive me for pausing for a moment to discuss this, because I got some questions who are like, what the heck is pacing? Pacing is the hardest thing to describe, because it's the aspect of how is used what, when. That's pacing, okay? Uh, from a gameplay perspective, it's all about level design, um, types of enemies, types of objectives, mission variety, that sort of thing. From a, narrative, it, from a narrative perspective, it's about overall pitch, tone, atmosphere, how, what kind of feeling or mood you're getting out of a specific scene. My favorite go-to example for both good pacing and bad is the Call of Duty series. Now, I'm not going to spoil, but in Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare, and in Call of Duty uh, Modern Warfare 3, these two games are good examples of good and bad pacing, respectively, on both axes. And the easiest way to explain it is Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 is a non-stop race sprint. It never lets up. It's just... for the whole game. That's not good pacing. That wears you out. It, it diminishes its impact, and it overall brings the overall mood and tone down rather than actually keeping the fever pitch that they want. Instead, it just kind of becomes mind-numbing. By contrast, the former game, which again, I'm not going to spoil individual things, but has highs and lows, and then you sneak through, and then there's a quiet section, and then there's the section when you're in the vehicle, you know, in, in the, uh, well, again, I'm not going to spoil but you're in the vehicle, and and then, you know, ah, the, the pacing, I, I like to do this when it comes to talking about pacing, and this is true but for both gameplay and story. This is not necessarily what good pacing is. But this is good pacing, if that makes any sense. Highs and lows, and it kind of goes between the two to emphasize both. The highs emphasize the lows, the lows emphasize the highs. From a gameplay perspective, check this out. There's a mission where the high charity comes in, and, and, and the flood just start wandering. That 
is a low, not a high. Even though there's flood everywhere, even though it's like, oh my god, the worst possible thing could have happened, that is a moment of dread. That brings the tone down. The mission right before that, that's the big charge. Yes, we're going to charge up there, and there's this big action-y kind of hero-y vibe, and we're going to defeat it, and there's tons of enemies, and we're killing Covenant everywhere. And then it's like, oh, oh now we need to frickin' book it, and you know, now you're fighting the flood, and now the tempo and pacing are far more down into the dreadful thing. This this is what I mean. And again, from both narrative and gameplay perspective, this game manages its excellent job on the pacing thereof. The game, of course, bookends beautifully. If I might be so bold. Uh, you know, the final chase, just like it was in Halo 1. And of course, you know, he ends up back in the in the pod, you know, watch over me, etc., etc. I I find this to be interesting because my final thought here. Uh, from a rumination perspective, is this feels like the end of Halo. Or, let me say that a different way. This feels like the end of this arc of Halo. I don't actually know if that's going to be true or not. I have not played the future games that we're going to start playing tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Instead, it feels like... Uh, it's like I've talked about over in Zelda series, the Ganondorf Trilogy, which is Ocarina of Time, Twilight Princess, and, and uh, Wind Waker. Those three games form one cohesive arc and story between them. That's the Ganondorf Trilogy. Now, there's other Zeldas. There's even sequels to those games. But that story is those three games. And that's the same exact vibe I get here. It feels like the narrative of this Flood Crisis and the Covenant Crisis has now terminated. I'm curious if that will continue to be true going forward, especially since I know that Halo Infinite is still coming out as of now. You know, it, it has not come out as, the rec as of the recording of this video. But I know they're continuing the franchise, which is fine. But it, usually what that means is they need to start another arc, or just starts doing side stories. And I'm very curious which they're going to go with. I have a couple thoughts, I, sorry, I just realized I have a couple thoughts right at the end here I want to mention. I talked about uh, my, my belief in the motivation of the Gravemind, and I noticed that he was talking a lot in this game about how much he wanted us to suffer how he was, you know, screw us and death to everything. And also, you notice the terminals, which are much better designed in this game, by the way, than in the previous two. The terminals all get across the idea of that kind of, you know, screw you, I'm going to kill you all kind of thing. Mendicat, cough, cough. Mendicant, excuse me. So there's, I, I, think, I think I was actually right about that spite thing. But that leads me to talk about the truth. What the heck was the truth doing in this game? Now, I ask you that question honestly. What is your theory for why Truth was going through with all this? Now, I had a theory in the previous game. That theory was wrong. <laughs> you know, it was provably wrong. I'm not sure what to make of it here. Because it either looks like he started believing his own lies, which is entirely feasible, or he was past the point of reasoning. That he was simply sufficient, you know, the, that the Truth was so blind, and or deceived, however you want to think of that, that he could no longer be, he could no longer think like a rational, sentient, sapient being, and instead he was just doing things because, well, what else is he going to do? However, on top of all that, I want to add one last thing. See, I pay attention when I play these games. It's probably not obvious, uh, since analysis is literally my job. And one of the things I've noticed is that in all three games, a human was required to activate the halo. Why is that? There's also several references by multiple monitors to us, that is to say Master Chief, as being a reclaimer. So, humans are people who are known, to some extent or another, by the Forerunners. The Prophet 
was in uh, the prophet and the brute both in uh, in three and in two respectively were incapable of activating the halo. Why? Now the reason I bring all this up. Oh, they also had a monitor in two, so the the monitor was also not capable of activating the halo rings. It required a human. There's an undercurrent tone, is what I'm getting at, that humans are special or were special to the forerunners. Or, yes, forerunners. I'm right. I'm right. I'm just making sure I'm right at the title because there's the forerunners, there's the precursors, totally different things. And I get the very, very strong impression from truth in particular and the prophets in general of envy. How dare there be another species that is venerated above them in the eyes of their gods, in the eyes of their forerunners who had come before them? They were special, chosen, unique. They were the ones who deserved to be on the top of the heap. They move in, they find a new race, they subjugate, control, and absolutely dominate via the most brutal and evil, <laughs> horrific methods possible, with no thought towards morality. Pure calculus. Krong. Submit. But what happens when they see the humans? Genocide. Execution. And they try multiple times to wipe us out. In fact, this happens several times in the backstory as well as in the course of these games. KOS, or, yeah, no, KOS, kill on Stipe. Seems to be the order of the day when it comes to humans. I get that very strong feeling of envy, and alongside it a sort of, I don't know what else to call it, a malice. Screw you. How dare you? How dare you actually exist in comparison to me? You little pissants. You are nothing compared. We're going to, I'll show them. I'll show them. And I mentioned this theory and this vibe because I wonder if that was part of what was going through Truth's mind prior to the Arbiter putting his blade through it. I know, the Arbiter actually stabbed him in the, in the chest, not the head, but whatever. It's a good line, screw you. <laughs> I wonder if any of that was actually relevant in his thoughts. I will say this. Halo 3's narrative also stumbled several times for me. I feel that individual scenes just kind of fell apart. Where we have, where, where's our rendezvous point? To war. It, what? And, and there's a few moments where just the, the actual presentation of scenes falls apart completely. I can name at least four off the top of my head, which in my opinion built up to a single aggregate negative of just, huh? Still an enjoyable game. I will say this. This is, like I said, this is the one I enjoyed playing through the most for the gameplay perspective, and I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts, at least not the least. I'll see you guys next time.